Why can't you give me what I want? I've earned this job. I deserve it. Why? Because your parents are rich? Because you went to prep school and have a five-dollar haircut? You've been given everything. You've never worked for anything in your life. For gosh sakes, don't you realize you're going to lose everything? I'm giving you a way out. Would it be so bad? Why is this so hard for you? Hello, everybody. You're listening to another episode of A Thing Like That, a podcast about Mad Men. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Mike Levito. And I'm your other host, Kathleen Levito. And we're here to talk about Season 1, Episode 12? Sure. Yes. <laughs> episode 12, Nixon versus Kennedy. Uh, Kathleen, any first thoughts about this episode? Um... Their party seems really fun. They have a party, it seems really fun. It does, yeah. It, Yes, it makes me wish uh, that our elections were more fun now. Yeah, now they're like... really dismal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with that mm-hmm. right now. I, I think this is like a really, really good episode. No, it is a good episode. It, it's a really good episode. I think it really delves into, you know, the whole... Just launch something. We'll get to it later. Okay. The whole... It delves into actually why the whole stolen identity thing is important. And I think it really delves into sort of like Don's psychology and and Pete's a little bit as well. And and why they're so often find themselves on the opposite side um, of stuff. So, uh, yeah. Let's get into it. And let's start with the synopsis, which I try to keep pretty pithy. Um, But I guess you'll all be the judge of that. So we start with Don introducing Duck Phillips, a candidate for head of accounts, to Burke Cooper. And when they're done, Don leads Duck out, and the guys, you know, you know what I mean when I say the guys by now, all gossip about him, and Pete, in particular, is clearly perturbed. We find out why. Pete ends up going to Don's office and basically asks for the head of account services job, and Don just kind of isn't interested, sort of blows him off. Um, This is the night of the 1960 presidential election, Richard Nixon, who... Uh, you know, Sterling Cooper was doing, it implied some pro bono work for, and given Burke Cooper's political leanings, who everyone's kind of supporting, um, is running against John F. Kennedy, um, and everyone has planned an election night party, or everyone but the sort of like quote-unquote adults, so once Don leaves, you know, it breaks out into a party, um, they just, they fill their water cooler with creme de menthe, everyone's going nuts. Um, and we get kind of, mo- most of the action of the, of the election night will take place there, um, but we get sort of three different nights. We get, we see Don coming home to Sally and Betty, excuse me, and Sally asking about the Electoral College. We see Ken chasing down women to see what their underwear is. They're in this weird sort of like that thing to see who's wearing what. Um, and we see Pete going through Don's box that was mistakenly delivered to him uh, the last episode, sent to him from his half-brother Adam which Trudy kind of calls him out on as being... She calls it peculiar, which it certainly is. Um, <clears throat> anyway, back at the party, um, Paul claims he has absinthe in his uh, office, and uh, all Ken and Allison finds a play, uh, ostensibly written about sort of this idealized version of Paul and his, his work life. Um, they, so they stage the play, which includes a kiss between Sal and Joan, Sal playing... Paul but not Paul Joan playing Joan but not Joan um, the broadcast on the TV announces that Nixon is doing well Harry and Hildy impulsively kiss Harry goes to his office to pick up his things and leave because he realizes he's too drunk Hildy follows him they end up making out and shutting the door 
Um, at 3 a.m., no winner has been declared yet, and Joan and Harry are the only conscious people in the office, and they discuss their past relationship. Uh, Harry and Hildy wake up together with much regret, and she steps on his glasses. Piggy comes in to not only find green vomit in her trash can, but also that all of the lockers have been raided. She tells everyone that she's going to tell security. Pete comes into Don's office with a shoebox, rewrapped, says it was sent to him by mistake. He asks Don again for the job, and Don again brushes him off. But Pete reveals that he knows what Don, that Don is actually Dick Whitman, and says he's willing to tell Cooper about it unless Don gives him the job. Don stands tall and kind of low-key threatens Pete. Um, we get then a flashback to Korea where Dick Whitman is assigned to an outpost run by Lieutenant Don Draper. Going back to the present day, Don panics after Pete leaves and he kind of looks at the photos that were in the box. Uh, Don races off to Mencken's and tells Rachel that they have to go and he wants her to come with him. She's very confused and concludes he just kind of wants to run away with anybody, not just with her, and they, they effectively break up right then and there. Uh, Don walks back into his office in a state but finds Peggy crying. After, and after giving her something to drink, Peggy says how the world isn't fair. She follows the rules. People who break them do fine. Which kind of encourages courage in John. She's up in John. What I'm talking about, Don. She's upset because she told security about what happened, and they fired the elevator operator on the janitor. Um, but this inspires him to basically stand up to Pete. So Don goes to Pete's office, tells him he isn't going to give him a job, and sets out for Cooper's office to tell him we will find out later that he's going to hire Duck instead. Uh, Don and Pete argue all the way there. Don tells Bert he's going to hire Duck, which pleases Bert. Pete tells Bert that Don is not who he says he is, and Bert says he doesn't care. Uh, we get a second flashback then of Don and Dick taking cover while they're being shelled. Afterwards, Dick fumbles his lighter, which causes an explosion that kills Don. Dick swaps out his dog tags with Don and wakes up in a hospital bed. The doctors now believe that he is Don Draper, and the corpse is Dick Whitman. He's sent to Pennsylvania with the corpse where Dick's family is set to meet him and the chaplain. Don tells the chaplain he can't face the family, but Adam recognizes him at the last minute and chases the train. Then Don leaves the train in Austin. Then we get back to the present day, where Don leaves the train in Austin, then back to the life of Don Draper, and we get uh, see a TV screen where Nixon is conceding the election to John F. Kennedy. Okay. what uh, What's the theme? Uh, privacy. Yeah. Invasion of privacy. Invasion pri of privacy. Yeah. Um... It, in any, uh, why? Um, I mean, there's the obvious stealing of the box. Mm -hmm. um, there's, you know, the stealing of Peggy's things. <clears throat> and um, the, the rating of Pete's, uh, not Pete's, Paul's office. office to find and then present right, this thing that's yeah. very personal. Yeah. Um, there's also even the breaking of, like... Um, what is his name? Harry is like wedding vows. It's mm -hmm. kind of like an invasion. Um, and yeah, take it from here, Michael. Yeah, so... Because <laughs> I have more like one-off comments. Right, yeah, yeah. The way we kind of like structure these episodes was like, oh, it's all built around one unifying theme and all that. And I think that's true for a lot of the episodes. And I you know, do think this is mostly about invasion of privacy, but it's about a lot of things, right? They all kind of play into the theme. Yes, it's about invasion of privacy. Um, it's also, I think, about entitlements. And we kind of mm -hmm. see the Nixon versus Kennedy election play out with Don and Peter's surrogates, which well, I'll get into um, foreshadowing later, but yeah, we see that. Um, <clears throat> and then we also see um, when when Don, when when Pete does tell Bert that Don is not Don, um, Bert tells, says he doesn't care, and he says a man is whatever, it, the Japanese have a saying that a man is whatever room he's in. 
and since Don is in Don Draper's office, he must be Don. And there's a big room motif, which kind of goes in with the privacy thing, right? The mm-hmm. idea of having like a room to one's own is, is sort of like, you know, important to a lot of these characters. That's an interesting saying, though, if you consider um, <clears throat> Pete accepting the package on Don's behalf because he was in Don's office. Mm-hmm. What does that say about him? Exactly, right? Um, we also have, I believe it was the episode beforehand where um, Bert tells Don he's going to be a partner in Roger Sterling's office. Mm-hmm. Um, so he got kind of elevated in that room for a reason. The other room motifs is well, when when Don is, when Dick is first introduced to the real Don, um, he enters into his tent and Don says, "Oh, you you, you know you'll you'll pitch a tent over there. This is like a, a lieutenant's tent or an officer's tent." He's not you know mean about it. He's just like, "Yeah, I, you can tell that I'm an officer because I'm in here." Um, and like we said, Liam, you know, the rating things like uh, <clears throat> and the whole even like Ken's just like oh like you know pulling up women's skirts like that itself is an invasion of privacy um yeah i think that's all we had for rooms but i have a lot more for privacy um let's see what i do have <clears throat> so the the whole play is really interesting right because it is this airing of like private feelings and sort of private thoughts mm-hmm. which leads to joan telling paul he has a big mouth um but it, it it's it's all presented in this like sort of funny guarded way but they both know what it's really about and everyone else kind of knows what it's about and even when Joan and Sal kiss you can tell that Joan is kind of like realizing something is different about this kiss and I was gonna say right yeah she knows yeah and that Sal may not be who he says he is either yeah um we also see uh let's see here there's just so much in this that it's difficult for me to kind of... I mean, you know, at, at the very beginning, really, uh, Bert asked Duck who he voted for, and Duck is like, oh, well, you know, um, mm-hmm. if I say Kennedy, like, you, you know... You, it's I, like, if I say Nixon, you're going to think I'm kissing up to you. Yeah. If I say Kennedy, you're going to think I'm, like, entitled or something. Yeah, I don't know. It was some, like, bad connotation, so I'm going to say Nixon. Yeah. And then Bert was like, oh, okay. Right. But th- it's interesting, though, because this idea of a vote being private, like, you have that kind of violation, right? Yeah. Where it's like, we're entitled to secret ballot in the United States, and um, that I think is considered kind of a sacred right. Um, so you not only have that kind of violation, but you also have, you know, I think of, like, Don's box, which I just wanted to describe it as, you know, the shoebox that Adam sent to him, is itself, you know, it's kind of a ballot box, right? Yeah. And so Pete's invasion of that and and the whole controversy around kennedy was that he was getting votes from dead people that there was electoral fraud and so if we think of pete as a kennedy surrogate then him violating don's privacy and like meddling with the ballot box kind of tracks um and what's interesting so interesting to me about this too is bert's whole philosophy because he turns out he's so radically pro-privacy that he doesn't care what like he's like the ultimate capitalist in that like he recognizes that it's more profitable to not care about who don actually is so he doesn't even though it is morally wrong even though it might mean he deserted the army which is anything that like you know a patriotic republican like burke cooper would abhor but he doesn't care because at the end of the day the ends justify the means as long as they're making money it really doesn't matter to him and it shouldn't matter to pete either um which is interesting right because this whole, and I'll get into the election stuff, but <clears throat> the day after the election, Don comes to 
Bert and says, hey, you know, no one knows who won, what's going on, it's super close. And Bert goes, oh, you know, I, I was hanging out with all these, like, important Republicans the other night, and it turns out that, you know, there may have been some fraud in Illinois, and Kennedy's going to win. And Don says it doesn't seem fair, and then Bert's like, Psh, like, what does fair have to do with it, man? Mm-hmm. Like, and also, like, Nixon, you know, if he protested, there's, we're going to have, like, you know, a month without a president, and that's no way to win. And so when Pete is sort of breaking the rules by ratting out Don so he can get the job, Don takes that as an offense and sort of uses it as this promulgation of, like, an unfair advantage. Um, and, you know, we've seen an earlier episode where Don says he identifies with, you know, Nixon because he's a self-made man. He comes from a poor family, whereas it seems very clear that Pete is more of a Kennedy because he was born almost literally with a silver spoon in his mouth. It comes from old money. Um, and so this it's interesting that Don is trying to right a wrong but the wrong is ex- is it's is exposing a wrong mm-hmm. in a weird way right it's it's this it's this very kind of like complicated moral knot of like well technically Pete is right but he got that information wrongly and therefore Don may be right if you think that the method that Pete used to get that information was worse than the actual result yeah um it's all very complicated and it's interesting because in Pete Bert doesn't really care what is fair he just kind of cares what benefits him which I appreciate that Bert <laughs> and that's funny because as someone like I am someone who is very like I want to like I like peace and harmony and all of that mm-hmm. but also like when push comes to shove I will go after <laughs> myself and I will I'm a Slytherin I'll break any rules I have to to get my way <laughs> yeah and I think that um that Bert would be a Slytherin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think so, too. Um, He's such an interesting character because he does have a very... I can't quite figure him out always because he does... And I didn't realize this. Like, in later... I never really, until watching it again, picked up on his kind of um, cunning and his, like, his sharpness. Right. Or, like, his intensity. Mm-hmm. I always thought of him as a lot more, like, kind of peaceful and just, like hands off Mm -hmm. and in a way he is hands off as long as what's he's not touching is benefiting him um and i think because of that he does seem very kind of like zen almost Mm -hmm. and like oh like it is what it is because i like it this way kind of yeah yeah he's like yeah he's got this he's he's very much a um He's got a lot more going on than he seems. He seems yeah. like this old fuddy-duddy who, like, is very paranoid about people and shoes and all that, obsessed with the Japanese, but he's actually, you know, very, very wily and very aware of what's going on. I like um, it. It's probably Pisces. Who knows? Um, anyway, uh, we get some even, like, more, like, explicit references to privacy, though, specifically when Don comes back uh, from telling Rachel that he has to leave, and what you're saying that, too, is that, like, this secret is so private to Don that he can't even tell Rachel why they have to leave or what's going on, right? Um, but when, when he comes back and he sees Peggy in, in his room, which is, you know, a violation of his privacy, and he says, you know, like, there has to be some semblance... He literally says there has to be some semblance of privacy um, left here. And he says, I have to be alone right now and all of that. But that's interesting, right? Because Don, because of his status at the company, uh, is kind of tastily entitled to privacy because he has his own office mm-hmm. peggy doesn't have her own office at all like we've seen her actually in the second episode be cr- well she i don't think she ever does actually cry but like you know 
we see people in the ladies' room cry. Yeah. Um, she herself doesn't have any privacy, right? So there's this kind of, like, you know, some people only have so much privacy to preserve, which is why the rating of the walkers so disturbs her. Um, of course, Don then decides to violate Pete's privacy by barging into his room, you know, when he's... He's just sitting alone in a dark room drinking. It's very bizarre. <laughs> um, but, hey, whatever. Um, Can we talk about the scene where Trudy approaches Pete about the box? Sure. Okay. And this has just hit me now. This is what I laughed about earlier. Mm-hmm. So, tell me if you think it this way, too. Trudy opened the box. Most likely. Because she says to him, it's not yours. Yeah. And she doesn't say, like, anything else. She's like, it's not yours, it's not right. And she basically shames him into giving Mm. it back. But she tries to, like, first get him to admit what's in it. Mm. So she's like, oh, my father had a box like that. Can, like, you know, suggesting it's porn or something. But also, if you take that at face value, it's like, wait, your father stole someone's identity (laughs) too? Yeah. Um, that just that just cracked me up. Yeah. Like, wow, Trudy, jeez. <laughs> that scene though, this is like the second scene though, where there's definitely like almost like a mother-child sort of like oh, yeah. iconography going with them because he's like in like his, his pajamas and he just like looks young in general. He's kind of baby faced, but like he he's got like his hair is like a little like it's it looks like like his mother like combed it back and mm-hmm. you want to like mess it up. And so he just looks like this, like, petulant little kid, like, staring at his little pictures. Yeah, it's then, almost like baseball cards or something. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. And then Trudy comes in as, like, the disapproving mother. Um, yeah. Yeah. And we also get, like, very, this is kind of a little random, but we also get, like, Pete very literally being, like, like, why don't you want me to have this? Like, don't I deserve this? Like, very explicitly, like, saying that he feels entitled to mm-hmm. all of this. Um which, you know, kind of, like, scores up the Kennedy thing again. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. We covered a lot of ground there. Just, again, Bert's, like, radical approach to privacy, where even if you do anything bad, it's still not my business unless it affects me. Yeah. Very Ayn Rand. He says his country was built and run by men with, like, worse stories than Don's, like, and you're not complaining about that. Um, we talked about the play... Uh, Don't I mean, like Harry and Hildy share like a private moment, like that that no one else seems to see or notice. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Lieutenant Don Draper asks equipment why he joined Korea. You know, it was based on some misconception, which is you know kind of a private decision to make while you join the army. Um, I also forgot um, the details of how. Don, the real Don Draper died. Mm. I thought that it was like gunfire that had lit the gasoline mm. and killed him. But like, do, like the fake Don low-key killed the real Don. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that'll come up more in the future. But we'll talk about it in the foreshadowing section. Um, the other thing I had though is like, we talk about entitlement a lot as being like the Kennedy thing, but there's also a degree of entitlement for like Nixon and Don too, right? Because mm-hmm. Richard Nixon's the vice president He's done all the work. He's served more time in Congress than the Senate. He's a Navy. Well, they're both Navy veterans. But, like, he's like, you know, he's like, I deserve this because I put in the work. Um, and Don, I think, kind of has that feeling a yeah. little bit, too, where he's like, I scrapped and scraped all my way up here, so, of course, I'm deserving of this. Um, but, yeah, I think I think we uh, we got that all 
all dry. I mean, like, more references to rooms. Bert says he was in a smoke-filled room of every Republican luminary aside from MacArthur and Jesus. Um, Pete is, like we said, he's in the dark, cold room, like, when he's drinking alone. Like, that's mm-hmm. his, that's the man he is. He's this very isolated, sort of sad little man. Um, and so this is also interesting, though, when we see the aftermath of the explosion, like, Don is sitting in what is Don Draper's hospital bed, right? Like, he is now in... He's literally in his shoes. Right, yeah. So we get that replacement that way. Um, and he's, he's kind of like... And the question that's raised, and I really love what they do at the end, which is, you know, it shows him on the train pulling out of Pennsylvania, um, and then it, it sort of, like, fades back to Austin, and he gets off to go home. And it's like... On one level, it's like, well, he left sort of like the whorehouse he grew up in to go into this much nicer quote-unquote room of Don Draper. But when we know what Don is when he's at the office, but what is Don when he's in Austin? And what is he when he's in that train and going through that transition? Mm-hmm. Like, what is he when he's... What is he preparing when, for? When he's not on top of the world. Yeah. When he's back down to earth. And I think that's a big question that he struggles with and the audience kind of has to explore throughout the rest of the series. Yeah. And it's interesting because we, we, we see Don at home, like at Sally's birthday party that was earlier this season. And that's the one that really sticks out. We see him, but oftentimes he's just passing through. Mm-hmm. We don't see him hanging out with his family. We don't see him going to dinner with his wife if they're not going out with someone else. Mm-hmm. We don't really see him. Later seasons, we see him interact with his children more. Mm-hmm. Um but even then, it, it, they tend to be fleeting experiences. Yeah. So he really is someone who doesn't seem to be at home. Right. And think about how, how often he is working late at, yeah. you know, or just really just avoiding having to go yeah. home, right? It, it's more than the fact that, he, you know, you think of like a chicken or the egg thing where it's like, is he not going home because he wants to go out and get drunk and, and get laid? But you could very easily make the opposite argument that it's like well he's doing all those things as a distraction he's doing so he doesn't have to go home yeah you know? which is personally what i believe yeah it probably is yeah. close to the truth um we we even see as they're pulling out of pennsylvania sort of like this very attractive woman like siles up next to don um says something to him but like it, and so it kind of implies this idea of like sex being an escape from mm-hmm. the the unfulfilling home uh, anything else on, on the that litany of themes no Okay, ready to go into our awards? Let's do it. Um, the only other note I had to say is that um, before we do our awards, I didn't know where to put this, but like uh, someone calls Paul Orson Welles because of the play. He, he does look like Orson Welles. I don't know. <laughs> With have like the very Orson round Welles. and big face. Like he looks a lot like Orson Welles. We'll look up Orson Welles and be like, oh, it's that guy. Um, Oh, I see. I have more stuff now before we go to work. So okay, it's like this idea of like like Nixon. We would find out would later pull a lot of dirty tricks too, you know, in, in his political life. So we get kind of the irony there. Um, Pete describes Don as having a deep lack of character, but then Don and but then Don says, you know, what you know, you want this because your parents are rich. You went to prep school. You have a five dollar haircut. Which is so cheap these days. I know. That I was like, wait, he went to Supercuts? Yeah. <laughs> you were given everything, you never worked for anything in your life. Kind of like a big thesis between the Don and Pete argument. Um, anyway. 
so, and of course the Peggy quote, I try to do my job, follow the rules, people hate me, people who are not good get to walk around and do whatever they want. And I think that's kind of like an important bonding moment for Peggy and Dom, which kind of brings them together. And they both feel, for different reasons, like they've had to work harder and feel like feel like they need to have a firmer grip on what they have. Anyway, now we're actually going to go to our okay. awards. Um, our Pete Campbell Memorial Worst of the Week. Who do you have? Pete Campbell. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. 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 He, uh, he steals Don's mail, which is a federal offense. He, he looks at stuff that isn't his. He's going to narc on Don. Um, that's that's all. And he, he's super he's entitled. Still, he's still a prick. He's a little prick. He's super yeah, entitled. He wants yeah. it because he wants it. He's like, oh, you know, there are people younger than me at, 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 at better companies who uh, have the same job. And I was like, I don't care. You didn't deserve it. You don't, you don't have the track record. You suck. Like, no one likes you. <laughs> you know, you get the job. No one likes you, Pete. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, he's the worst, right? So there's a reason the award's named after him. Is it, have we already had the quote that Pete says, oh, no one's ever called me a people person before? Yeah, 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 yeah. Which, yeah, no, that's that, I use that as the intro for one of the episodes. Yeah, for because it's the same thing where like he uh, he talks about what's the word direct marketing, where yeah. he's like, and you people tell me, and you t- I come here and you tell me I'm good with people, which is funny because I had never heard that before. <laughs> Such a great moment, so good. All right, um, <laughs> your Pete voice is so like. Is it good or bad? <laughs> it's like. I can't decide. <laughs> I'll tell you, I'll think on it. Okay. Right. Kind of sounds like he's a chain smoker, which he is. So <clears throat> yeah. Well, I'm about to do it again because okay. the Roger Sterling Memorial Quote of the Week. Roger Sterling not in this episode at all. He's he's still convalescing at home. But <clears throat> as Duck's being led out of the office by Don, everyone's kind of gossiping about Duck behind his back, and they're like, "Oh yeah, you know, we all remember him." Or it's like you know, like it's hard to miss him or whatever. And he goes, "That's because his name is Duck." I grew up with a tuck. At least that had an air of dignity. <laughs> okay. And move on to our foreshadowing. Yeah. Speaking of duck, the first note I have is about duck. This is the first time we see duck. Yeah. We'll play a very, very large important role in the in the show and Sterling Cooper and all these people's lives. I forgot that this is when Duck Yeah. I, I didn't remember a lot of the first I, season when I realized that. I, I like I, I remember him being like the very I remember him being the very first episode of the second season. I forgot that he's introduced for this like little bit here. I thought that he just came in in the second season and we were supposed to pretend that he was there the right. whole time. Oh yeah never mind. Yeah. No, I knew he no. was new but no. Well, as in, like, I, I thought that we were supposed to pretend that he, like, he he was brought on, and we're just like, oh, okay, like, right, we get yeah, this, yeah, this yeah. is fine. Um, yeah, and, and, and then they talk about, you know, his life disintegrating in London, and we'll see his life disintegrate in America, too, um, and get hints about what went wrong in London as well. And, of course, the first time Y&R, the company he worked for, is mentioned, which will end up acquiring Sterling Cooper and bring Lane Price over to the United States, which sets up its own whole chain of events. Um, I think this is the first time we see, or at least we get the name of Allison, who's a secretary, that in, later in the seasons, Don will hook up with, mm-hmm. and then they're in the, uh, what is it an ad for? 
skincare. I think something I like think that. it's like pawns or something. Yeah, and she runs out crying, and it becomes this whole thing about you know, Don's clue, Don's personal life is now affecting his professional life and becomes a big problem. Uh, the first time we see Harry be not. I don't... What's, like, the the adjective version of infidelity? Infidelious? I don't know. Um, unfaithful, I should unfaithful. say. Um, <laughs> it's kind of an accident in this instance, but he becomes later very deliberate and gross about it in <laughs> later, later seasons. Um, sort of, like, we get a lot of Nixon stuff. Nixon will come back as... The irony, of course, that Don loved Nixon initially, and then Nixon becomes kind of this figure as, like, the death of the American dream in some way. JFK will play a big role, of course, as a whole episode of his assassination. And Pete will become very JFK sympathetic, not just because of the rich thing, but because it turns out Pete's like very, very socially liberal and will, will become very effective by, affected by the deaths of Ke- both Kennedy and Martin Luther King Jr. Um, any, any you have? Um, no. Okay, I'll keep going. Then. Okay, wait, I'm trying to... Th- oh, I'll think with you go. Where right. You go? Um, later on, when the sort of Don contract drama is going up, Bert will use his knowledge of Don's, you know, fake identity to get him to sign the contract. He says, would you agree that I know a thing or two about you? Gets him to sign. Um, <laughs> I'd like anything to do the, with the con The contract drama is, like, pretty, like, dry and confusing. Yeah. And I, I, it took me a while to, like, understand it. Um, so yeah, uh, Pete trying to screw over Don foreshadows his eventual screwing over Freddy after Freddy is off, to- completely ossified one day, pees his pants, all that. Um, you know, it's sort of the first step of Pete being this very Machiavellian ladder climber. Um, Pete mentions that he has a friend at the Department of Defense who he used to look up records about Dick Whitman and Don Draper. That'll play out in a later season when they get a contract with the Department of Defense. We then have to do background checks on everyone, which freaks Don out, because they know if they do research, they're going to find something amiss. So he asked Pete again to ask about his DOD contact there. Um, Don suggests that he and Rachel run away, and Rachel's like, what, you want to go run away and live in L.A.? And Don turns out that he like really likes L.A. in the later seasons and kind of really wants to move out there. And also, I believe the original Don Draper is actually from California. Mm-hmm which we'll find out later. Um, Don says that even if they do run away, he'll provide for his children, which, you know, during the during the background check scare, he calls his accountant and, and creates a trust fund with both of his kids. He's such a good dad. <laughs> yeah. uh, he's a... I think he loves his kids. Yeah. I think he loves himself more. Yeah. <laughs> that's the problem. I think he loves them enough to provide for them. I think yeah. he recognizes he, that's, like, what he can do. He feels a responsibility to them, but I feel like in the 60s, the level of responsibility people were expected to have for their kids was lower than it is now. Yeah. Even though, you know, I think we're generally think like, oh, people are like much looser nowadays. But like, I think back then, like kids were just kind of expected to like take care of themselves or to a larger extent. It's like it was the whole thing where it's like, all right, get out of the house, come back for at dinner. Yeah, It's exactly. like you were just outside for 12 hours. Yeah. What were you doing? No one knows. Right, right. Um, <laughs> Not that we would know. All stories we know from our parents and yeah. things like that. Um, I'm a lot older than I sound. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 70 years old. Uh, the service lighter, that'll come back eventually. Um, Don will have sort of like halluc- drug-fueled hallucinations about 
uh, the service member he meets in Hawaii, like dying. They like mm-hmm. talk about their lighters, things like that. Um, Donna in the hospital bed kind of foreshadows Peggy in a hospital bed in the next episode and then the, f- the first episode of the next season. Oh, I didn't realize it so soon. Yeah. I don't, like, have a sense of time. <laughs> we watched the first season for the first time a really long time ago. Yeah. And finally, um, when Peggy finds everything's all rated and she goes to her locker and she's like, where's my stuff? And Sal goes, I wore your blouse. <laughs> <laughs> Not literally, just kind of being a joke, but, you know, even further confirmation that Sal's supposed to be gay. Uh, I, my my favorite scene in this this sh- episode is when he and Joan kiss and Coach Joan's like, ah. <laughs> 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 yeah. It's this really subtle moment that like you don't really notice, and mm. you're just kind of like, did t- did that happen? <laughs> right. This is a thing too, where it's it's so interesting to me because it's like, did people like? So Sal makes me think of this, and like also. Um, there was this, there's, he's still alive, this movie writer named Rex Reed, who I forget who he writes for, my, uh, I don't know, I don't, I'm not going to guess who he writes for, but like, he was like, you know, a big deal in like the 60s, and he would go on like shows and talk and stuff, and like, very clearly gay, and it's like, did people just like not realize they were gay, mm-hmm. or like, did they just pretend that they weren't, like, it's very interesting to me, um, how people just kind of turned a blind eye to it. Especially in an era when it seems like there were like little witch hunts to try and like you know it was like a, it was like a big deal back in the yeah. day. Um, anyway, just an aside. Any final thoughts? I think I'm good. Yeah, I think I am too. We're uh, we're almost done with season one. Next episode is the last of the season. Uh, Thanks so much for listening. Uh, I'm Mike Levito. You can find me at letterbox.mlevito on Twitter. No, find me at letterbox.ameramike on Twitter at mlevito. I'm Kathleen Levito. You can find me on Instagram at rise to the sun. No spaces. I just put out a poetry collection on rise to the sun.com. And yeah. Cool. Find us all on thepostwriter.com. We write stuff there. Find our other podcast, The Real Life Oscar Challenge, which hosts with my roommate Lars. Uh, follow us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud. I did a lot of work on making sure that all the episodes were in order, so I think they should all be in order um, for the one person who listens and who, for whom that, that's a big concern. So, uh, yeah, once again, thanks so much for listening, and uh, Nixon 2020. <laughs> I... Did I tell anyone this, 